Welcome to today's episode of Empowered, a perfectionist guide to imperfection, hosted by me, Miranda Lee. It's time to take back control of our lives, and it's time to write our own story. Remember, you are enough, you are worthy, and you are loved. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back. So today I talk with Jess Downing, who's a trauma counselor, and we go over the importance of therapy, all things mental health, and more specifically, we talk about trauma what trauma is, common misconceptions about trauma, and how to deal with traumatic experiences in our lives. I really hope you enjoy this episode, so let's get it started. Well, hi, Jess. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yes, thank you for having me. For those listeners who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself, tell them what you do, maybe your background? Yeah, so my name's Jess Downing, and I'm actually a trauma counselor. So I have a background in clinical counseling, and I'm currently working towards my licensure as a professional counselor. So right now, I'm specializing in trauma treatment for kids and adolescents, and that's kind of the specialty that I want to stick with. And uh, other fun facts about me I, I have a pup, an Australian Shepherd puppy, great self care. I love him. And I play the piano and I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. Oh my gosh. I love Greenville. I lived in Charleston for a couple years when my husband was going to nuke school and Greenville was our favorite place ever to visit. So I'm so jealous. That is awesome. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's nice to get to go. My family's still there. So I go there like once a month and I love it. Oh my gosh. It's so pretty. So jealous. So jealous. So what is, <laughs> what has your journey been with self-care and mental health? So self-care is hard. (laughs) Self-care is really hard and you have to practice it to make it like an everyday thing. I know, you know, with mental health, specifically, I've struggled with my own mental health. I've struggled with, you know, anxiety and how to manage that. And so um, that really played a role in going to school for counseling, because when you're talking to people um, about their personal experiences, it's easy to not prioritize your own needs because you're helping others with theirs. So I've really had to learn recently how to prioritize self-care. And that's really just knowing your limits and being able to take a step back and um, recognize what is something you need. And self-care could be physical. So going to the gym or it could be, um, you know, relational. So maybe I go out and I have coffee with my friends and, you know, those things that help manage my anxiety, um, are definitely like my priority because I do struggle with anxiety. Yeah. I think a a lot of people think that self-care is like a one size fits all. And it's, it's so different for everyone. Cause I feel like some people, for some people, um, like exercise and stuff is a great form of self-care. And I feel like for other people, it might just be, you know, adding to their stress and anxiety. Um, so what, when it comes to therapy itself, do you think therapy is some is something that you know everyone is implement into their life? I think there's a lot of stigma behind like, oh, going to therapy. And I think it's becoming a lot more normalized now. But what's your opinion on that? Yeah, so I know that there's a lot of movements. There's a lot of people trying to open up about their own experiences so that people do feel more comfortable seeking help because mental health in its own has a stigma of, okay, like if you have anxiety or depression or a mental health diagnosis, there's something wrong with you. 
Um, and that's not the case. So I think that that's why people feel uncomfortable going to counseling and seeking help because, well, if people know I'm going to therapy, that must mean something's wrong with me. Or maybe they'll think that I'm crazy is a, is a big one that I hear. Um, so I think therapy, not everyone needs therapy. And I say that because some people are not verbal processors. And so counseling is very good for people who like to talk about it, who are open and, and wanting to learn more. But some people might do better with other things like just talking to friends or like doing their own form of self-care, like working out is really good for mental health. So I think everyone can do therapy. Everyone will benefit from therapy, but not everyone needs it if they're not comfortable or open to it. Yeah. I actually started therapy when I was in, was it middle school or elementary school? And it's funny because my mom tells me about it now that you know, she was a little iffy about putting me into therapy because of the whole like, oh, you know, crazy is something wrong with you. But um, she actually talked to my aunt because I, um, I grew up with a special needs little sister. So that caused a lot of anxiety in my life. And my, my mom had to be like, convinced, like, it's okay, like, she will benefit from therapy. And I know, because I was introduced to therapy at so young, like, I never, I never had any negative thoughts about it. Someone's getting paid to listen to me talk about myself. Like, I love to talk about myself. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's what it is. Is like, you can go to therapy for the littlest thing or like the biggest diagnoses, right? So you can go to therapy just because you're having a hard time adjusting to like moving or school or a transition in life. Like, I think a lot of people assume if you go to therapy, that means like there's something seriously wrong. And that's not the case. We're here to process situations with people and help them problem solve. If you're more into like the practical things, we're here to help you like examine your thoughts and your emotions and, and just work with you. And we do it as a team, right? So in the type of therapy I do, like we work as a team and like, I'm just really here to come alongside you and help you through these um, things in life that you're struggling with. So um, I'm glad to hear that therapy has been a positive experience for you and that you did grow up with it. So it sounds like you never dealt with kind of the stigma around it. Yeah, I definitely did not. But something that I notice um, now, because I, I still go to therapy, um, actually just had my therapy appointment before our interview. <laughs> um, something I've noticed is that I feel like boys specifically have a hard time like going, like admitting that therapy would be beneficial. And, you know, I'm sure it has to do with society and the different pressures on female and males, but like, what is your take on it? Cause I don't know why men think that it's weak to go to therapy. Well, I mean, you already said it perfectly is that those societal expectations of men, right. To be strong and even to not be emotional. So you hear the term like man up or like be a man. And so what does that really mean? And somewhere along the line, we've developed this idea that like men can't be human. Men can't have emotions. Men shouldn't have problems. They need to be strong and they need to like be manly. But you know, that's society's take on it. We weren't made to have no emotions. Like we were designed to feel and emotions give us um, information about life. So I think just normalizing it for men and saying, men have mental health diagnoses too, and men struggle too. It's okay to seek help. It doesn't make you weak. Um, And actually, I think being vulnerable 
and admitting when you need help and like seeking help for something actually makes you strong and is a really good thing. Yeah, totally. I agree. And I think, I think a lot of people don't understand like what actually goes on in therapy. Like you don't go in there and then like the therapist says all these things that are wrong with you. Like it's, you have like this third party who who isn't someone that you have to like live with or argue with or like someone who sees the outside perspective and they just help you talk through it most of the time you're making your own realization it's not the therapist saying oh well this 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 and this like they're definitely helpful with you know like the you know the mental health um like diagnoses if they have you know anxiety depression but a lot of times like situations the therapist really are just there for you to talk it out. And it doesn't mean you have to cry every session. Like, I think I've only cried like in one session in the past couple of years. It's just nice to, to have someone to talk to who like, you can just, you don't have to filter everything, you know? Yeah. And vulnerability is scary. And especially as a perfectionist, right? Cause we naturally as a fellow perfectionist, like we want to mask you know, those imperfections we want to mask, like when we're struggling. And so I think a lot of times it's hard to seek therapy as, yes, a male, but also as like someone who wants to appear perfect. We have this idea that like, if someone knows, like, oh no, like I'm not perfect. And, you know, it it can be uncomfortable at first, but, you know, if you're going to a good therapist and you're finding a therapist that you mesh with well, they're supposed to like make you feel comfortable and like, it's a confidential space and they're there for you. And no, they don't tell you what to do. I know a lot of people, they're like, ah, I wish my therapist would just like give me advice and tell, and like therapists don't do that. We're here to guide you to your own answers because it's your life. And we don't know your life. We don't know exactly what you're dealing with on the inside. So, you know, the best decisions for yourself. We just guide you there. Um, So I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what therapy really is. Yeah. I like that. You said like, they're just there to guide you. Like, it's so true. They're there to to guide you. Like they're taking the journey with you. They're not like, Hey, let's go. This is the way this is the the direction we're going in. Um, So that kind of reminds me of, you know, our relationship with God and how it's a a side-by-side journey um, that we take with God. We're not just, you know, asking God to give us the answers. Like we need to have faith in him. So what is your journey? Um, How's your journey and relationship with God and your faith? How has that shaped where you are now? Yeah. So I, I come from a great family and, you know, God was always prioritized in our home and going to church and just, what does it look like to serve others and to have a relationship with God? So I really think the whole concept of serving others, my, my belief on why I'm here in this world, like has played into why I'm in this helping field. And it, it gives me a lot of purpose and it makes me feel good to be able to help others through difficult parts of their life. Cause I've been through some hard things as well. And I remember the reason I chose trauma. Um, and I also actually work part-time with um, survivors of sex trafficking at a home and that's because I was on a missions trip and we got the chance to work with missionaries who were housing girls who had been sexually abused in the home or by their educators. And so on that mission trip, I felt called by the Lord to do what I'm doing now um, and to work as a trauma specialist. So he's the whole reason I do what I do now and why I was even called to do this in the first place. And that's why I feel like, you know, I've been blessed in this role is because I know that it's from the Lord um, and it's a calling. 
Exactly. I love, I love that. Like God, God puts us on this earth, you know, to serve him and to serve others. And that's, you know, we're supposed to use our, our special gifts that he gave us. So let's talk more specifically about your specialty, which is trauma. Um, I feel like when people hear the word trauma, they think of like, you know, like just PTSD or like, you know, being involved in sex trafficking, which is the obvious forms of trauma, but I think there's some, you know, lesser known um, forms of trauma. Can, so can you explain what trauma is and like the types of trauma? Yeah. So I know that there's like this idea that when we hear like PTSD and trauma, we think of like military and like veterans, but trauma is really just a traumatic experience is anything that endangers your life, anything that's scary and extremely stressful happening at once. And so trauma is that response to that experience. So a lot of people naturally over time, they recover, like most people after they experience something traumatic, they'll have some of those trauma symptoms, like avoidance of the, of reminders of the trauma or re-experiencing through nightmares or like flashbacks and even like that hyper arousal. So like super vigilant and um, some issues with mood. And over time, those things will naturally go away for a lot of people, but for some people, those things stick around. Um, and that's when it turns into that diagnosis of PTSD. So just because someone's been through something traumatic doesn't necessarily qualify them for PTSD. Um, that's like, that's the biggest thing. And traumatic experience can be anything from a car accident, being in a natural disaster, being exposed to like violence or witness, witnessing someone get hurt. And then we have like the sexual abuse, neglect, physical abuse, even verbal abuse. A lot of people don't know that. Like you can experience trauma by being like psychologically and verbally abused by a parent or a significant other. Um, There's so many forms, but yeah, it's different for everyone. It's what they consider to be traumatic to themselves. Um, Yeah. So what are some common misconceptions about trauma? Trauma isn't always like, explicit in that you do realize it in the moment. A lot of times, like, especially with the population I work with, like childhood sexual abuse, um, I work with a lot of those clients. And so when they get older, they, they think back and they remember what happened. And when they're older and they understand, you know, what happened, then they realize, wait, that wasn't okay. And you know, that's when it kind of comes. And then that's why a lot of times, like they realize it later on when they're older and that's when they come out about it. Um, a lot of times uh, people don't correctly qualify, like what's trauma. Um, I know we tend to joke about like, oh, that was traumatic or I'm traumatized and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's really not a joke because a lot of people do go through like dangerous situations and highly stressful situations where they do become traumatized by it. And, um, I think there's just some misconceptions like losing a significant other, right. Or like grief, those things can be traumatic. Um, having a family member go have like a heart attack or have something really serious happening to them that could be traumatic for you. Um, but I think a misconception is definitely that like everyone who has been through a traumatic experience has PTSD um, because you can experience trauma and not develop PTSD. You know, sometimes we naturally recover from it. And then other times like we don't and you, you get treatment. And there's a lot of well-researched treatments that are effective 
um, in treating those symptoms. Yeah. And I can definitely see how people in the moment don't exactly know that they're going through a traumatic experience and probably why so many, you know, sexual assault victims don't open up about it till later. And, you know, probably in the moment they thought it was their fault or that they were allowing it or, you know, so many things that are probably going through their mind that are probably like a survival tactic, like just to get them through that traumatic moment. Well, and you brought up a great point is that in the moment, like it's easy to look back at a situation and say, should have done this, or, you know, the hindsight's 2020 hindsight bias, right? But chances are in the moment, you didn't have all those options available to you. And your body was in fight, flight, freeze mode, doing everything that it could to keep yourself safe. And whether that's disassociating or just like freezing up or, you know, trying to get away, like your body responds, like we are created to have that response to keep us safe. And so you did what you could in the moment a lot of times. And so when you look back and when your, your interpretation of the event is like, oh, I could have done something different. Chances are like you did what you could in that moment. And so um, a lot of people might not identify their experience as traumatic if they blame themselves, right? Yeah. And I mean, something that I've, I don't really ever talk about. Um, I had an experience with someone where I had to press charges against them. And when I did, I remember the detective calling me and talking about it and then asking, well, you're a boxer. Didn't you, why didn't you like defend yourself physically? Or why didn't you see these red flags when he did this or he did that? And it was like, dang, is that victim shaming or what? Cause in the moment I'm not over here. Like I'm going to beat this person up the way things happen. It's just kind of, you know, like you said, the way we respond, like for survival, I had to, I was just more shocked about the situation and the fact that a professional in that, in like that, that said that to me, you know, it's probably why so many people have a hard time re- reporting abuse. That's so upsetting too, is that a professional did say that because you don't shame someone who's been through that, right? Like, I think a lot of outsiders looking in, they don't understand the seriousness of the situation. And so my question would be, even if you could beat that guy, like, even if you could beat that guy up or like you were stronger, or even if like you should have seen the red flags, does that excuse his behavior? Does that make it okay? Like, like that's not your responsibility in the same way that it's not our responsibility to stop someone from doing that. Like it shouldn't happen in the first place. Nothing makes it okay. And that goes to the victim shaming. I'm like, well, you shouldn't wear this out. Like they were wearing that. Oh, so that means if you wear that, like that's okay. Like it's very important that we hold the offenders responsible for their actions. And it is not the victim's fault. Like I can't stress it enough that it is never the victim's fault. No one asks for that. And I think a lot of professionals need education, especially, you know, with what you just described, because I've heard things said like the victim shaming way too many times. And we need to change the stigma and the concept of that. Like we need to provide some education on that. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what, especially since most of the time and this type of abuse or whatever it's someone that you know so when it's someone that you know you're not like especially with me I wasn't just like all right 
Mm-hmm. Time to fight. It was just more shocked that someone that you know in your life would do something like that. And I think the thing that upset me the most is that this detective that was victim shaming me was also female. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so, and the majority of the time with sexual assault, sexual abuse, it is someone that the person knows. And that also contributes to the, you know, people questioning, why didn't you report it sooner? Well, maybe that person was threatened not to say anything. Maybe they have confusing feelings and they love this individual because they know them, but they know it was wrong, but they don't want to come out about them or they feel ashamed or embarrassed because it was someone they know. Like there's so many factors that go into reporting trauma and things like sexual assault, sexual abuse that um, people need to be educated on. And I think that'll help with that stigma surrounding that. Yeah, I agree. Education and awareness and like all that for people, even, you know, outsiders who aren't experiencing it themselves for how they would, would respond if like a friend or family member was telling them maybe their experience. And, you know, even if, you know, a peer is victim shaming or saying, well, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? People don't feel as comfortable to come out about it if they can't even talk to someone close to them without feeling, you know, judged. Exactly. And that's why a lot of times if someone, you know, I encourage anyone, like if someone's coming forward to you about that, like you listen, you be supportive. What can I do for you? Like, that's like some of the best questions you can ask is how can I be here for you? What can I do for you? And encourage them, you know, to report it or encourage them to do what's best for them. Um, But just be a listening ear and not questioning and just hey, like, how can I support you? Because that's what they need in that moment. Yeah, I like that. That's so true, just being a listening ear, because I'm sure when someone, you know, comes, comes up to you to talk about that, they're not, they're not asking for, for like you to fix it or to say, well, what could I have done to avoid it? Like, they really just do need a listening ear and probably just reassurance as well. Yep, exactly. Hey guys, quick break just to hear a word from our sponsors. Oh wait, that's me. I'm my own sponsor. So hey, if you guys are struggling with, you know, body image or your relationship with food or even just your relationship with yourself, remember I do health and lifestyle coaching online. So no matter where you are, I am here to help you. If you want to see if we are a good fit, you can reach out to me or click the link in my Instagram bio to sign up for a free discovery call. I really want to help people so they don't have to go through the years and years of dieting and self-hatred that I had to go through to finally find this true peace and happiness that I have with myself. I promise you it is so worth it. So if you are interested, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. You can DM me on Instagram at thisismirandalee or shoot me an email. My email is thisismirandalee at gmail.com. Or if you know me personally, you can just shoot me a text or a Facebook message. All right, you guys, let's get back to the show. So how does like traumatic events affect someone's mental health and the lives of those who experience those events? Yeah, so there's a few ways. Um, Traumatic experiences could lead to like depressed and anxious states, and it can also lead to PTSD, which is what we talked about a little bit earlier. So Part of PTSD is avoidance. So you might see someone who really enjoyed going somewhere and talking to certain people, like completely cut themselves off from those things because they avoid it because 
when they're around those things, it brings up unpleasant feelings like, you know, that hyper arousal and panic attacks and um, some of those re-experiencing symptoms because it, your body in the moment associates itself with different cues and those cues become triggers. So a smell, a sound, um, a person, a situation can trigger those re-experiencing symptoms, which are like flashbacks, nightmares. Um, and then the hyperarousal can really be affected because when you're um, exposed to those cues, you might shut down and withdraw, or you might have panic attacks and you know difficulty sleeping. And it's like all of those things can happen following a traumatic event. So, um, like, how do you know when someone who, who's experienced trauma needs to seek therapy? I guess, how would that person know themselves? Like I need to get help. If it is starting to interfere with their ability to, you know, function in everyday life, like to do work effectively, to do relationships effectively, if it's starting to affect their friendships and romantic relationships or family relationships, that's when I would encourage someone to seek help and talk about it because there are therapy treatments that work and that have been shown to work through research. But I would truly encourage anyone, you know, who's gone through a big life event um, to seek counseling right after because we know that the sooner that you seek counseling following a traumatic event, the better... Um, your recovery rate will be. And the more likely you are, so like say um, you seek treatment right after like a traumatic event occurred, you're less likely to develop, to develop a diagnosis of PTSD because PTSD it develops like one month plus after, you know, um, experiencing a traumatic event. That's how long the symptoms need to last. Yeah, and even without like the whole traumatic um, aspect or traumatic experiences like you say like to to seek help or therapy during like big life events like even with me when I you know I lived in San Diego for since I was three years old and when I moved across the country to Charleston um, it's not that it was traumatic but that big life event did really trigger um, my anxiety and like my, my tick disorder definitely got a lot worse and that's something I when I started seeing a therapist, because like, I was like, why is my anxiety so bad? The therapist was like, well, I mean, you just moved across the country, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not that it was even a traumatic experience. It was just a big life event that, you know, things that, you know, throw us off our normal routine or just throw us off track, especially as perfectionists, when we like to be in control of everything. And now it's a completely new life where you you can't be in control, like even little things like that, like therapy is so helpful for, cause I didn't even realize it until I went to therapy. I just thought that out of the blue, my anxiety and my tics got worse, but there was a reason. <laughs> yes. And that's another plus of like seeing a therapist is that they can point out these things that like, you should have been like, wait, how did I not put those two things together? And they can just kind of bring light to situations. Um, but I agree, like any big life transition can, it's hard to adjust where it's hard to adjust or causes stress, you know, seek therapy for it. If you're struggling. Yeah, there's no, there's no shame in therapy. And I think it's, you know, such an important and helpful resource that we have 
But for those who don't have access to therapy, whether it's, you know, financial reasons, or even I know nowadays for people who can financially afford it, sometimes a wait list is, you know, months and months in advance. I know, especially like what my insurance covers, um, if I wanted to like switch therapists for some reason, it would take probably months on a waiting list. So what are your tips for, for those people who don't have um, access right away? How can they start finding help on their own? Yeah. So you made a good point, especially in the um, today's climate with you know, coronavirus and all like the world in general has been under a lot of stress lately. So you'll find that waiting lists for therapists are way longer. And even as like, you know, thankfully mental health stigma is decreasing. So more people are coming forward and saying, I need help or, you know, seeking therapy. So there are wait lists and some people aren't insured. So for the people who aren't insured, I would encourage them look for resources that you can go to because some, some counselors and counseling centers will offer free services depending on your diagnosis, or they will do a sliding scale um, and they'll work with you based on your income. So I would encourage you to do research about what's available to you. And if you have a wait list and you can't find anyone who can take you, I would say find what does work for you while you're waiting, um, whether it be downloading like an app. I, I've heard of a lot of different apps that are helpful for mental health and or even finding um there's therapists on online apps that I, I don't think the waiting lists are as long. They're more readily available, even if you do something like that in the meantime, um, or find what helps you, um, whether that be mindfulness, meditation, uh, physical activity, just do something that will help you feel better until you can talk to a professional. And I know for me, when I finally, um, wanted to recover from my eating disorder, when I finally hit rock bottom and said, I'm ready um, books, like books are so helpful. I, I remember like the first book that I read, like completely changed my mindset. Um, and, you know, helped me on the path of to recovery. Like we have access to so many things, whether it's like books or like podcasts that, that talk about mental health. Um, <laughs> my friend, she always goes, who needs therapy when you have TikTok? Because, you know, there's sometimes they they post helpful things on there. Yes. If you are, if you do TikTok, there's a lot of great therapist TikToks out there. I don't know the exact names of them, but I am on therapy TikTok and um, definitely scroll and get some good ideas from there. And podcast, podcast. There are so many good podcasts. There's podcasts that you can find for specific diagnoses on like Spotify and stuff, or there's just general mental health podcasts. So there's a lot of good resources in the meantime, if you can't talk to a professional, but if it's an emergency or, or if your life's in danger, or if there's a safety risk, or you're thinking of taking your own life, call suicide prevention hotline, call 911. Um, never put something like that off. That's true. Yeah. Really, really good point because you know, there's, it's not black or white when it comes to mental health, there's this whole gray area and it, you know, it depends on where we are in our own life and our own journey that, you know, it could be a point where I'm dealing with my anxiety just fine. And then the next week it could be, you know, really bad where I, I do need help, but, um, you know, therapy shouldn't, we, I don't think we should wait till it gets that bad. Like uh, people should use the, like therapy as a preventative tool, you yes. know, 
Like same like with marriage counseling. You know, you don't wait till it's already bad and you're ready to get divorced. Like start addressing it sooner. Yeah. And you'll find that. And I've struggled it with like with it myself as a client, even being a counselor is like, if I'm having a good week, I'm like, oh, I don't have time for counseling this week. Like, you know, it's not my priority, but you're so right that it is a preventative and it like, it's just something to upkeep these tools. You learn so many tools that you can pull out yourself when you need them. Like therapy should really teach you to be your own therapist to some extent. And so that you can use that outside of your therapy time. Cause therapy is one hour a week and there's like a bunch of hours in a week. Um, so using it as a preventative and also not waiting till it gets bad. And a lot of times people do, they come in to counseling when it gets really bad and that's okay. Cause sometimes that's what you need to, to push you there. But, um, I think absolutely like maintaining therapy, even when things aren't feeling that bad is important. Yeah. So what are, what are your top tips for, for perfectionists? Um, when it comes to, you know, whether it's self-care or just dealing with their own stress and anxiety, like what, as a professional, what are your top tips for them? I think as a professional and as like a fellow perfectionist who's dealt with her own anxiety, it's that it's okay to get help. Like vulnerability is not a weakness. It's a strength listen to Brene Brown's yep. videos and her. I was about to say that Brene Brown talks about that. Vulnerability is actually a sign of strength, not weakness. Mm-hmm. Cause it's easy. It's easier to pretend like we have it all together and that we're perfect, but you know, it's hard and it requires more strength to admit it when you need help. Um, self-care perfectionists often put off self-care because they put on this front that everything's okay but it's okay to admit when you need to step back and take a break prioritize self-care kind of in the same way like seek counseling even if it's not super bad like prioritize self-care even if you're feeling okay like still practice it to the point where it's like part of your daily practice and then um I'm trying to think of other things that I did that really helped me is that it's okay to like, you can't control everything. Focus on things that are in your control. Um, Cause a lot of times perfectionists, we try to control, we like to have control of the whole situation. Right. So recognizing some things are out of your control and that's okay. Focus on what is in your control. And I'm wondering what, what did you do for you as a perfectionist that really helped you? Um, I think one of my biggest things is realizing I can't control situations, but I can control my reaction to situations. Like I even remember something as simple as like spilling coffee or like, you know, making a smoothie and then like dropping it, like would make me so angry. And then Mm -hmm. once, once I realized that, you know, I, there's nothing I could have done or nothing I can do now to stop that situation from happening, but I can control my reaction. And it's just crazy how just controlling your reaction just completely shifts your mindset. Like when I, now if like I stub my toe and spill my coffee, I laugh. I'm like, Oh dang. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. And then it's just, I move on. But otherwise if I were to get so upset about spilling coffee, it would literally ruin my whole day. And I know that's just like such a small example, but like as a perfectionist, there's so many things I can't control as much as I'd love to control it. But Mm -hmm. the only thing I can control is my reaction and my response to those situations. I really like that. Um, 
And it is a small example, but that's so important because that does reflect on our bigger things in life. So like, I remember being a perfectionist, like my expectations were high, like to the point where it was interfering with my relationships because my expectations for myself were really high and unattainable because like perfectionism, right? No one's perfect. And I remember my expectations would be high. And when people fell short of like what I expected, I had it all controlled in my head, exactly how I want every situation to go. And when, you know, life happened and didn't go as planned, I couldn't handle it. And so I had to learn coping skills for that anxiety, for that perfectionism, because life isn't perfect and things are going to happen out of your control. And how do we cope and how do we respond to that? And I think another, especially as a Christian is remembering nobody's perfect. Your partner's not going to be perfect. You are not going to be perfect because it's impossible. We live in a world of sin, right? And if we were perfect, there'd be no point of Jesus. Like, you know, like Jesus is perfect so that we don't have to be. And I think just remembering, like, we're not made to be perfect. We're human and that's okay. And let's learn how to deal with the imperfect things and the things out of our control. That's so <laughs> true. I, I love that. Cause if we were perfect, there, there would be no need for Jesus and even Jesus was perfect and so many people hated him. So mm -hmm. it's weird that we think like if we can be perfect, then everyone will like us. Like even if we were perfect, so many people wouldn't like us. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Like you can't control how those people, you know, come at you, but you can just control your response to that. And, you know, like, just like you said, as, as as Christians and followers of God, the only perfect person is Jesus, not us. Exactly. And that's a good reminder that always kind of hits me in the face. Because, <laughs> you know, I do still struggle with perfection. It's like a daily, a daily struggle and reminder of like, okay, I don't need to be perfect. If things don't go my way today, that's okay. That's life. How am I going to cope? <laughs> Exactly. Yep. Cope, coping mechanisms are, are so important. And it's another reason why you should go to therapy. Your therapist can help yes. you with coping mechanisms. <laughs> when I said earlier about everyone not needing therapy, I think I take it back. I think everyone needs therapy. <laughs> no, but like you said, not everyone needs it, but everyone would benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Like no one's going to go to therapy and come out worse than they went in. No. Why not give it a shot? Right. Yeah. They you, you're gonna like these people like you went to school for such a long time to help people with these situations <laughs> and with these struggles and it's like why not especially for those listeners who have insurance that will cover it like my insurance as um a navy wife like I can get free therapy so why wouldn't I take advantage of that yes absolutely. why wouldn't I yep like, there that's so beneficial um so where can our listeners find you yes so i'm on instagram um as your best self and so it's like underscore your underscore best underscore self um and i like that name um because i chose it because like therapy is a process of becoming your best self and it doesn't mean perfect and i, I put that in one of my posts and i really wanted to stress that being your best self we think that means like being perfect or making more money and this and that and being your best self just means what's the version of yourself that's healthiest that you feel most content that you feel happiest and like are you living a life in line with your values so um a lot of my posts are just about like 
mental health tips, or, you know, I'll be talking about regular diagnosis and just giving information about it. And I just want it to be an interactive way that we can, you know, help each other out. And social media is filled with things. And I hope to fill people's feeds with some positivity and some help. Yes, I love it. I love your page. I'll definitely be putting your at name in the show notes. And, and I agree. I love the name your best self, because it's even something I, t- I tell my clients, like they'll tell me, oh, I, I was, I didn't do my best today. And it's like, no, did you not do your best or did you not do the best? Cause mm-hmm. they're not always the same. Your mm-hmm. best might literally just be getting up out of bed and putting on normal clothes just because you didn't get up and do your two hour workout. Like that was still your best for that day. Yes. That is so good. That is so true. Yeah. People need to realize they're not always like the best and your best are very rarely going to overlap and you just need to focus on your best. So thank you so much, Jess, for joining me. You just uh, so full of so much knowledge. I, I absolutely love it. I love everything that you stand for. And everyone, if you're not following her yet, go follow her. Thank you so much, Miranda. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. If you are listening to this episode on the day that it aired, it is Memorial Day. And I just want to remind you, it is not another day that we get off work or another three-day weekend. It is so much more than that. It is a day that we mourn and honor the lives that were lost of the men and women in the military. So if you will just join me for a couple moments of silence to pay some respect, that would be awesome. Thank you guys for taking those couple of moments. It is the absolute least we can do. Anyways, I hope that you guys enjoy my podcast and you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please leave me a five-star review. It would mean so much to me. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Uh